here is your next quote. This is the most humble die of my life. <laughs> that was somebody testifying before the British Parliament who had the most humble day in his 80 years of life on Wednesday. This was my favorite story all week. Oh. Rupert Murdoch. Rupert Murdoch, <laughs> yes. Rupert Murdoch appeared in front of a committee of the British Parliament along with his son, uh, James Murdoch, who looks just like his father would if his father were still alive. <laughs> Murdoch testified that despite being a billionaire global press baron, he's got a lot in common with the average working guy, namely, neither of them have any idea what's been going on in Murdoch's company. <laughs> then. A comedian broke into the room to smash a pie into Murdoch's face. And on international TV, Murdoch's wife, Wendy Dang Murdoch, leapt up to defend her husband with a sharp right cross. It was the most vicious thing a member of the Murdoch family had done to an enemy since that morning's paper was published. <laughs> Why do people throw pies? I mean, it seemed like... How did they get past I mean, security? it seemed like throwing a scone or a muffin. I mean... <laughs> Maybe more British. Well, I think like with a muffin, you could even get a little movement on it. You know? Oh, yeah. Yeah, you get a, like a hanging curve muffin, oh, yeah. you know, right? A lot of Murdoch's rivals in Britain and here in the U.S. have really been enjoying the story. They're running headlines like Murdoch Empire Crumbling. Fox News, of course, went with terrorist attacks innocent job creator with toxic dessert. <laughs> I might start with Mr. James Murdoch. On Tuesday, Rupert Murdoch, chairman of News Corporation, and his son, James Murdoch, chairman of several News Corp properties, testified before the Culture, Media and Sport Select Committee of Parliament in London. They were answering questions about the News of the World scandal, in which an undetermined number of their employees illegally hacked into people's private voicemails. An inquiry that by week's end had narrowed to the Watergate question. What did the Murdochs know, and when did they know it? When two of the tabloid's former executives questioned James Murdoch's testimony, claiming never to have seen a 2008 corporate email confirming wider newsroom complicity in the hacking, one member of Parliament notified Scotland Yard asking for an investigation into possible obstruction of justice. It may not sound terribly serious to be testifying before the Culture, Media and Sports Select Committee, but it is serious, as evidenced by the we're really sorry statements at the beginning of the testimony to members of Parliament, both from James... First of all, I would like to say as well just how sorry I am. ...and from Rupert. This is the most humble day of my life. Sorry. Humbled. But not to blame. This is MP Jim Sheridan addressing Rupert Murdoch. Mr. Murdoch, do you accept that ultimately you are responsible for this whole fiasco? No. You're not responsible. Who is responsible? The people that I've trusted to run it, and then maybe the people they trusted. 
Since last week, the scandal has worked its way into the highest levels of power in England. The Metropolitan Police Commissioner, Sir Paul Stevenson, resigned over his decision to hire a former News of the World deputy editor. British Prime Minister David Cameron came under intense fire for hiring a former News of the World editor, Andy Coulson, as his press secretary. Coulson was arrested earlier this month for his role in the hacking. Reuters finance blogger Felix Salmon watched the testimony and says that despite all the pressure they faced, the Murdochs seem to have prevailed for the moment. He says media watchers waited in vain for a cinematic reckoning. Some big dramatic moment when the Murdoch's facade just completely fell apart in the face of withering questioning by some tenacious MP. That kind of drama clearly didn't happen. I think if there's going to be any real leadership changes at, at News Corporation, then it will only happen in the fall when the reports start trickling out from Parliament and from the police. Now, fair enough, but their employees and former employees have been arrested, and they're facing two separate shareholder revolts, one asking for a more rigorous investigation at News Corp., and the other actually attempting to change the uh, stock structure of the company. Let's talk about that one for a second. News Corp. is like many media companies. The New York Times is one, Viacom is another, in that it has two classes of shares. It has voting shares and it has non-voting shares. The Murdoch family, although it only owns 12% or so of the company as a whole, it controls the company through its 39% voting stake. What the shareholders want is a normal publicly listed company where the amount of votes you have is directly proportional to your shareholding. And, of course, Rupert Murdoch is never going to let that happen because it's unthinkable to him that he would just be a hired CEO answerable to shareholders and not running the show himself. Now, you hung on to every word of James Murdoch's testimony and Rupert Murdoch's testimony. Uh, why do we care so deeply about this political scandal in corporate politics? Rupert Murdoch is an incredibly powerful person in the U.S., through Fox News in particular. The fact is that his company has been caught doing highly illegal things, basically controlling the police in the United Kingdom. And we have a scandal which could bring down an entire government. That's a huge amount of power for Rupert Murdoch to have in the U.K. And one has to ask whether he's really a fit and proper owner of the many television networks and channels and other media properties that he owns. We've seen the Wall Street Journal in recent days come out with a series of op-eds, at least seven of them, all sort of defending Rupert Murdoch in one way or another. So he's clearly completely obliterated any semblance of independence at the Wall Street Journal, which was a very precious thing for many, many years. And it's dangerous to have an individual with that much power. We've discussed our mutual obsession with this story. Is there one aspect of it that you think has not really broken through just yet that could turn out to dominate the narrative? Well, we've known since Watergate that the cover-up is worse than the crime, and I think to date most of the attention has concentrated on the crime and specifically on the voicemail hacking of Millie Dowler, this 13-year-old murdered schoolgirl. So if and when the attention moves to news cause actions in the cover-up phase, and this is the phase where James Murdoch was in control, and their attempts to pay victims of phone hacking millions of dollars to keep them 
quiet. There was an attempt allegedly to delete millions of emails. Those emails might actually be coming out very soon. There's a hacker group which seems to have got its hands on about four gigabytes worth of those emails. The contents of those emails could well be pretty explosive if people were indiscreet enough to actually say an email that they needed to keep things quiet and covered up. Then at that point, it stops being a story about the bad actions of newspapers and starts being a story about just how ill-behaved News Corps executives are up to and including James Murdoch himself. There's the matter of Glenn Mulcair, the private investigator who was convicted originally of hacking voicemails. He's been operating with a team of News Corp hired lawyers for the duration, but now during the hearings, Murdoch was at pains to admit that he didn't realize that Mulcair had been using News Corp lawyers, and, and that would be taken care of, and lo and behold, it has been. This is a fascinating story. I mean, it's one of the least credible parts of the whole testimony was when James Murdoch came out and said, I was shocked, I was shocked to learn that we were still paying Glenn Mulcair's legal fees. But yet somehow he wasn't shocked enough that he would seek to actually stop doing that. So eventually Rupert said in public that, that he would stop doing that, and they have stopped doing that, without ever quite admitting that they were doing it in the first place. But Glenn Mulcair is facing almost 40 different criminal investigations and civil charges and various other lawsuits. His legal fees have been astronomical. And he has said nothing for four and a half years about what happened. He was the man at the center of all of this. He knows where all the bodies are buried, pretty much. And so if he starts talking now that his extremely expensive legal defense has been taken away from him, then that could absolutely change the direction of the investigation. Well, Felix, thank you very much. Well, thank you. Felix Salmon is a finance columnist for Reuters. The mission of this show is to aggregate and amplify the best voices of the truly liberal media, and now you can play a critical role in helping fulfill that mission. I pick out the best clips I hear to share with you, and now you can do just the same thing extremely easily. Now available at bestoftheleft.com, each clip I play is made available individually with simple buttons that allow you to share your favorites on your networks through Facebook, Twitter, by email, and beyond. By myself, I can amplify this content to thousands of people, but collectively, we have the potential to reach millions. No kidding. Become your own media activist by taking one minute to share your favorite content a couple of days each week, help more people plug into the truly liberal media, and be an integral part of this extremely virtuous cycle. Thanks so much for your help. Let's talk about what's going on with Murdoch right now. Pretty juicy. Pretty juicy stuff over there. And I bet you people in the non-News Corp world are just licking your chops. <laughs> you just love this story. Shouldn't you have to, shouldn't you non-Murdoch papers have to recuse yourself from this story? Because you can't be objective. I mean, do the math. You've got a, you've got a, a $40 billion big blab of media that owns uh, Fox News, Fox Sports, New York Post, Wall Street Journal. They closed a 168-year-old newspaper, and they're run by an 80-year-old guy who almost got hit in Parliament by a pie in the face, and he was saved by his hot Chinese wife. I mean, that, that's a great story. That is a great story. Come on. 
But, but isn't much ado about nothing? How bad of a deal is it to hack people's phones? That's journalism. <laughs> how, do you, how do you know what the truth of a story is unless you are willing to do anything? You know, uh, Ed Murrow said, by any means necessary. Right. I don't think he meant hacking into a 13-year-old murder victim's phone and deleting... E okay, you're playing the 13-year-old murder victim card. What about, the four, what about the 4,000 other people who got hacked into who were not that person? You know... The, That's so selective of you. The, the celebrities and the royals that got hacked, I don't think people care about that. But in, in the instance of, of this victim, and I'll play that card again... They were deleting email, voicemails so that her family thought, well, maybe she's alive. Okay, but okay, okay. So, but I, I understand what you're nasty. saying, that that is not a good thing, but he has apologized. Today in Parliament, he said, this is the most humble day of my life. Right. As you said, he almost got hit by a pie. Leave the poor old man alone <laughs> and let them go about their business. Hasn't he been punished enough? Well, he, he apologized for everything and took responsibility for nothing. And that's a leader. <laughs> okay. The people responsible were all fired. Yeah. The people who worked for him. There's well, there's been ten people arrested as well. So the and. In terms of like where it ends, what actually what what actually happened? I don't. I think we're at the start of the story, and not the end of the story. Now, Fox America. News is also a News Corp holding. Right. Is there any indication that they've done any of this? You know, hacking into voicemail because I, I'm not sure. I'm not sure the Fox and Friends could hack into their own voicemail. <laughs> do you know? Do you, do you know? But it's not tech. But it's not technical savvy. Those guys, but it's, those guys have their pins written on the back of their hands. Yeah, so exactly, they never exactly. So do I. Is this going to have any effect on the rest of the news media, this scandal? Well, it's going to give us lots of juicy things to write about for a long time. I mean, I usually... So you people are going to sell papers based upon the things that they did? Based on the misery of others. That's sort of the business is, we're in. Isn't, <laughs> isn't, that, isn't that Murdoch's business model also? He's just better, better at it than we are, generally. Piers Morgan uh, worked for Rupert Murdoch, in fact got a huge break from him when he was 28 years old, became an editor of one of the papers, right? So, you know, he feels like he owes Murdoch, and I don't know their personal relationship, but obviously he's got a bit of a crush on him. So he's going to go on a, and, and defend Murdoch and say what a brilliant man he is, and he's going to bring on uh, Vicki Ward, who's a contributor to Vanity Fair and also a friend of the Murdochs, and also someone who worked uh, for Rupert Murdoch, and they're going to have a love fest about what a lovely human being uh, Rupert Murdoch is. Let's start watching. Well, you know, Piers, I just got a call um, an hour ago, um, and Rupert wanted to tell me personally that you know he's he's not okay. Ever since he met with the with Millie Dowler, the murdered girl's parents, 
He hasn't felt the same. His voice has been cracking. The people around him are, are very concerned. His children are very concerned. Um, this is a man who is more devastated than he has ever been in his entire 80 years. Yeah, nonsense, okay? Oh, you should have such great sympathy for him. He's the victim here. You know, everybody go ahead and, and cry for Rupert Murdoch. Okay, sorry for making fun of the accent. Okay, but look, my whole family has access. Okay, but nonetheless, I, I can't stand her. You're just going to see more clips from her in a second. But this is a person who, you know, made a lot of money off of Rupert Murdoch coming with me to me with this nonsense story about, oh my God, he's not okay. Everybody's very concerned about him. God, all the sympathy should be directed to my former boss who paid me a lot of money and is still good friends with me. Uh, so let's uh, let her continue along those lines. This is a man who cares so much about his legacy. He once said to me, all I want is for my kids to be decent people. Oh, and man. what I enjoy more than anything else in the morning is getting up and looking at all my newspapers and then looking at the competition and seeing who's done better. And, you know, um, it was like he would get, you know, and I, I love the sort of image of him in his pajamas scrolling around. I mean, what I would say. Oh, come, 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 pajamas. Now we're in the pajamas, okay? And all Rupert Murdoch ever wanted for his, is for his kids to be decent people. Are you? Are we talking about the same Rupert Murdoch? <laughs> On which planet is Rupert Murdoch? Oh my God, he's in his pajamas and everybody's concerned and he loves the kids, he loves the children. Come on, man, this guy's a ruthless, a ruthless businessman, titan, and political figure who has been driving uh, both Britain and Australia, and most importantly for our purposes, the United and for the whole world's purposes, the United States of America to build more and more right-wing draconian positions, driving us into wars where hundreds of thousands of people get killed, like Iraq, and his only concern is the decency of his kids. Uh, I, can she believe that? Does she really believe that, or does she walk out afterwards with Piers Morgan? <laughs> we got a bit of a laugh, didn't we? <laughs> oh, Murdoch in the pajamas—that was pretty good. That's more of a British accent. But nonetheless, <laughs> we continue. So I just, I cannot accept, although there's this huge witch hunt going on to bring him down personally, I don't accept that he himself would be party to illegal activity. Well, I have to say, having been the features editor and the news features editor of the New York Post myself, and also having worked for him at the London Times back in England, um, and at the now defunct Today newspaper, I completely agree with you, Piers. Um, he became a friend to me when I was at the New York Post. He would often st stop by my office and talk to me. I bet he would. <laughs> I don't know why he stopped by her office and became a friend to her, but, you know, he, he's a man with a giant heart in pajamas, okay? And he would come by her office, you know, she's a fairly decent-looking person, and he'd talk about how much he loved the kids. This is the Media Matters Minute. I'm Seth Michaels. A Media Matters report has detailed the disparity among the cable news networks covering the News Corp phone hacking scandal. Our research found that during the first nine days since news of the scandal broke, Fox News gave significantly less coverage to the story than CNN and MSNBC. It is a big news story. Now, we didn't, and I got some criticism for it, we didn't talk about it on Fox News Sunday last week. It was no reason other than, I'm not sure that there's, I'm not sure there's a lot to discuss on a Sunday morning talk show. The special report 
has covered it in depth, and the Net Channel has covered it in depth, and had, oh, okay. uh, you know, I think probably the most coverage of uh, Rupert and uh, and James Murdoch, who I thought did just fine. And I'm not saying that, you know, to be a toady. Sure. I'm saying it because. No, of course not. No. This week, addicted to hack part three. <laughs> Andy, it's hard for any franchise to withstand a third instalment without just getting sad. <laughs> the third Godfather movie wasn't great, the third Back to the Future seemed a bit desperate, and the third Love Guru movie is going <laughs> to hypothetically bring down the medium of cinema. And the same is true. <laughs> well, what's going to build it up in the meantime? <laughs> the, the second one. <laughs> the, the same is true with this third week of News of the World Revelations, which started two weeks ago as shocking, became exciting, and is now just looking depressing. The, uh, the circus even had its own clown attempting to entertain the crowd with some tired, misplaced slapstick when someone from the public gallery attempted to push a shaving cream pie into Rupert Murdoch's face. I'm not saying... Andy, that Rupert Murdoch's face does not look better with a shaving cream pie in it. It complements it perfectly. But there's a time and a place for doing that, and it was emphatically neither then nor there. You just don't want to find yourself with any misplaced sympathy for Rupert Murdoch. And when you see an 80-year-old man looking frightened, your heart can mistakenly go out to him. Hello? Is this, is this thing still on? I can't work out why this microphone is still working, Andy. Hello? Is anybody listening to this? <laughs> How are Andy and I still doing this three weeks on? Hello? <laughs> Should this not have been stopped by now? This doesn't make any sense. Hello? <laughs> Hello? Um... It's alright, I can take up busking, John. It's fine. <laughs> I've got something to confess. <laughs> What's that? <laughs> I've not been publishing it the last couple of weeks. <laughs> <laughs> I understand, Chris. That's just that's just protecting your back and kind of protecting mine and Andy's back for us as well. So um, yeah, he was Murdoch. Sadly, can't be with us on this week's bugle due to um, well, we've we've got a compulsory retirement age on this show of seventy nine, so we've decided he's too old. But he was assaulted by uh, a protester wielding, as you said, some shaving foam on a paper plate, and incidentally. Uh, I was alerted to this fact on Twitter that the guy who did this was following the Bugle Twitter feed. And oh, no. I think he was about to write F*** you, Chris, in shaving foam on Murdoch's face. <laughs> <laughs> but, of course, custard pie throwing has a long and proud tradition as a means of protest in Britain. Julius Caesar was custard pied on his first invasion of 55 BC. Got so annoyed by it that he came back the next year. William the Conqueror copped a foamy one in the face at the Battle of Hastings. <laughs> But tactically, that was an error on the part of King Harold. He should have probably sent in some infantry armed with something a bit more dangerous than custard pies, and inevitably, in return, he took a pointy one to the eye. And all this was edited out of the Bayer Tapestry, of course. But um, the problem was, as you say, it looked like a man attacking a rambling old pensioner. Uh, not, as he probably intended, striking a blow for the humble everyman against one of the most powerful men in the world who exerts control over vast swathes of what the planet thinks. And the problem is, John, it would have been fine had he gone the whole hog and not 5% of the hog and dressed as a clown and used a fully-fledged custard pie, possibly even a high-class Portuguese custard tart. Oh, nice. Yeah. 
because then you know that that gives it a nice little culinary angle, and we love that in this country. But this is the problem; it just wasn't it wasn't clownish enough. It just looked it kind of looked a little bit stroppy. Bit of shaving foam on a plate. Uh, a News International spokesman has brushed off the incident as quotes an overexcited autograph hunter who has always admired Mr. Murdoch for not having a beard, wanting to have his shaving foam signed. <laughs> Rupert Murdoch set the tone at the start of the day by interrupting his son to say, this is the most humble day of my life. Now, for a start, that's clearly relative. And <laughs> I, I can't... I can't... Hello? Hello. I, I can't help thinking that he was using a word he'd heard rather than referencing an adjective that he'd actually ever emotionally experienced. Hello. Hello. <laughs> Uh, although it did turn out that that statement was writing checks that his conscience refused to cash, as it paved uh, the way for a day of Murdoch denying any personal responsibility, steadfastly refusing to resign, and if there was any remaining question about how seriously he was taking the panel's questions, he even at one point nodded off to sleep. <laughs> and that, that is a pretty big f*** you to the investigation, Andy. <laughs> As a panel, you you lose your credibility a little bit when the person whose feet you are supposed to be holding to the fire starts to snore. <laughs> the, yeah, but I mean, you say holding their feet to the fire. As as grillings go, this wasn't the most <laughs> sausagey of barbecues, was it? <laughs> Certainly not quite as toasty as what Joan of Arc had to deal with, what most people believe were much less serious allegations. <laughs> that is that is a fair point. But, you know, the Nuremberg trials would have been critically undermined if Martin Borman and Hermann Goering had nodded off onto each other's shoulders before waking up with a start and saying, I'm, I'm sorry, what was that? Oh, uh, uh, not guilty. Uh, yeah, whatever. Th thank you. C can you actually keep it down a bit? Marty and I are trying to line up a power snooze. <laughs> But it wasn't, it wasn't that impressive on the part of British democracy, and essentially no. uh, what happened was that the structure of the, the uh, questioning of the House of Commons quiz broke down, as most quizzes do, into a missing words round, some educated guesswork, uh, or what happened next round, and an extremely <laughs> large amount of charades. <laughs> and um, I was hoping at the end they'd just announce a winner and a loser, uh, with the winner being given full control of Sky TV and the loser going to jail. But, um, but that didn't happen, and as it was, everyone just <laughs> shuffled off and said, well... Um, that's, uh, that's, that's been done for now. <laughs> there we go. So there it was. So, uh, Rebecca Brooks. Hello, uh, hello. <laughs> hello, I can't, Andy, this microphone's working. There's some problem here. <laughs> Rebecca Brooks, essentially, during her testimony, went rope-a-dope. She, uh, kept pretty stum, rumbled in the bungle, essentially. She claimed she was <laughs> only responsible for the quick crosswords in the Agony Aunt column, uh, during her time as editor of the News of the World. <laughs> And I think the problem was, John, that the panel of MPs looked her in the eye, and as you should know from anyone with hair like that, you have to look at them through a mirror. That is that <laughs> basic Greek mythology. <laughs> and there have been allegations today that um, James Murdoch might have got some of his answers wrong. Uh, he said that he was no. not aware of an email suggesting that hacking went wider than an obviously too convenient single rogue reporter. Two former News of the World bigwigs said that he what he actually meant to say was that he was aware of that email. Murdoch says, no, I'm sticking with my original answer, so I guess we'll just have to wait and see. The truth, John, has taken an, an absolute codload of battering over the last few weeks. <laughs> see, come to think of it, it's taken a bit of a battering over the last 100,000 years, so it should be used yeah. to it. Toughen up, truth, and stop complaining. <laughs> But I just don't know what's true and what's not anymore, John. Just last uh, night, my wife made me a spicy squid salad for my dinner. And I said, mm -hmm. is that really squid? Or is that bits of Buzz Aldrin's leg? I just don't know anymore. <laughs>
The latter half of the week saw the attention turned to the seemingly non-platonic, grubby relationship between News of the World and high-level British politicians. <laughs> that is so far from platonic. I mean, I'm not saying it's romantic, John. I think it goes yeah. the other side of romantic into essentially the relationship between a businessman and a prostitute down the back alley of a seedy nightclub. Hey, hey, they're getting paid, aren't they? They're getting paid. It's a living. Prime Minister David Cameron was dragged back from his trip to Africa after just two days. And it must have been very difficult for him to explain to his children why he was coming back empty-handed. Uh, sorry, but Daddy didn't have time to get you any souvenirs um, because he's embroiled in a potentially career-ending ethics scandal. But look, I did bring you back this pen. Look, it's got Daddy's lawyer's legal firm written on the side of it, and you can pretend it's a plane. I'm guessing that he was planning, Andy, on bringing them a stuffed toy lion back, or knowing his background, and if he'd listened to his genetic instincts, a stuffed actual lion. <laughs> the, uh, the scene in the House of Commons during the questioning was pretty energetic. I haven't heard so much jeering and screaming since one of those crazy daytime talk shows where the host stands in front of three angry-looking people sitting on the stage and reveals the results of a paternity test. <laughs> and, to, to be fair... Cameron did his best, his best attempt at humility. Unfortunately, his best is absolutely pathetic. <laughs> he said his hiring of Andy Coulson as his press secretary, who had just resigned in disgrace from News of the World uh, in the wake of the first wave of phone hacking revelations, he said, with 2020 hindsight and all that has followed, I would not have offered him the job. But hold on. <laughs> The phone hacking scandal was the reason he resigned in the first place. <laughs> you already knew that. That's not 2020 hindsight. That's 2020 sight. <laughs> That's perfect, unimpaired vision with which to make an informed decision. I thought, are you banging your hand on the desk there, John? <laughs> oh, yeah. that's, that's what Murdoch was doing in the, in the oh, questioning no. on Tuesday. Oh, He's no. got into you, John. <laughs> oh, God. He's bringing you down. <laughs> But he did admit, yeah, it's twenty twenty hindsight, that's all he said. The problem is, John, not only was the evidence of Coulson having resigned as part of the phone hacking scandal already there, but also a number of senior figures uh, in government, including Nick Clegg, uh, were mm -hmm. suggesting to him that it might be a bad idea. So when he says with hindsight, what he actually means is with other people's foresight, which he chose to ignore. <laughs> He also said uh, some interesting, <laughs> said some amazing things. He said, talking about uh, the, the, uh, the, the police angle of this scandal, which is um, continuing to uh, envelop the Metropolitan Police, he said, there are too few and arguably too similar candidates for the top police jobs. He then turned around, took a look at the social makeup of his Deputy Prime Minister, his <laughs> Chancellor of the Exchequer, and the rest of his Cabinet sitting next to him on the front bench, <laughs> and said, yup. Uh, I realise that might have sounded a bit odd coming out of my mouth. <laughs> he also said that uh, in the course of their investigations into this, the police should, quote, arrest whoever they choose, <laughs> which, you know, they had a mixed record with that in the 1970s, as I recall, <laughs> and the police in Bahrain seem to keep getting criticised when they do that. Let's have some consistency, Mr Cameron. But overall, did you, did you watch the, the, uh, the House of Commons... I did, I yeah. did, yeah. It was pretty depressing, John. It yes, was, yes. It showed the British Parliament had its infantile braying worst. MPs roaring and bleating with triumphalism. And then a kind of bizarre mix of MPs both saying this very, very important issue should not be used for petty political point scoring, and MPs nakedly trying to score petty political points. It was classic democracy. I have a message from the Bugle to the MPs of this country. Uh -huh. Grow the f***.
Our forefathers <laughs> taught, fought two world wars so you could sit in Parliament talking in English, not in A, German, or B, animal noises, which is what most <laughs> of you seem to choose to use. In fact, I think it probably w- would be better if you used A instead of B. And John Burko, the Speaker, uh, tried to uh, establish order in the Parliament, and he said this term, he said, this is the mother of Parliaments. And I think it might be time, if that's the case, to pop the old deer in a nursing home and just <laughs> do the decent thing for everyone. Mother, tell your children not to walk my way. Tell your children not to hear my words, what they mean, what they say. Mother. As an anti-consumerism advocate, I'd like to encourage you to shop less, don't buy things you don't need, and only buy the necessities from local, independently owned businesses. That said, if you don't take this good advice, then at least there's a way to shop that helps support this show at the same time. Simply click through to Amazon.com, just one of the major companies under constant boycott by one liberal cause or another, from the banner posted at bestoftheleft.com. Better yet, click through just once and bookmark that link to use every time you shop. Your shopping experience will be identical to normal. It will cost you nothing extra, but 7 to 8% of the cost of your order in soulless corporate blood money will be siphoned off and used to tremendously support the production of this show. Thanks for doing the right thing, whatever you consider that to be. The media are all over this story. How can we blame them? It's a newspaper scandal reaching the highest levels of government. Plus, it has the one-story element no journalist can resist. Other journalists. Meanwhile, some of Murdoch's media properties, the Times of London, for instance, made a ham-handed attempt at deflection with a cartoon that shows starving Somalians saying, We've had a bellyful of phone hacking, which one BBC journalist called a disgraceful attempt to, quote, imply that focusing on corruption allows famine to go unchecked. Meanwhile, Fox News has described the feeding frenzy, and it is one, as a witch hunt. But at least in America, the public apparently doesn't share the media's fascination. According to the Pew Research Center, the hacking scandal was one of the most covered stories last week, second only to coverage of the deficit in the U.S. debt ceiling. But according to Pew Research Center President Andrew Kohut, when the public was asked which story they were following most closely... Only 4% chose this one. Which made it among the least closely followed stories of the week. The debt story and the economy were the dominant stories last week. Other stories that were followed more than the News of the World story, women's World Cup soccer, state and local budgets, coming in at number five and tied with the 2012 election, the News of the World hacking scandal. You know, it's really not that surprising. It's about something that's not happening in this country. And while Mr. Murdoch owns and the News Corporation owns uh, Fox News and the Wall Street Journal and other things here in the United States, uh, it's not widely known by the American public. Republicans and Democrats showed very different interest levels, though, right? It was interesting. 21% of Democrats said it was the story that they were following very closely compared to just 5% of Republicans. Republicans followed it four times less than the Democrats. Right. And that may be a reflection of the fact that Republicans are more aware 
of the conservative nature of the Murdoch news organizations, rather. It's not a positive story. There's more interest in bad news about someone one disagrees with than there is interest in bad news with someone one agrees with. There is frequently an argument over whether the media give the public what it wants or what it needs and how well it tracks with the public's interest. People will say, the Casey Anthony story, it's just a fascinating tabloid story, and so cable news covered it thoroughly, even though it's not that important a story. Do you think in this case there was just a serious disconnect, or do the media frequently misapprehend what the public really is interested in? Well, the job of the media, as we would both agree, is to cover the stories that it considers important, not only the stories that the public has an interest in. It's convenient when both of those things converge. Some people call that elitist, Andy. <laughs> and it's determined to uh, base one's coverage on what, what's thought to be important in the public interest as elitist. I raised this with uh, former CNN president Jonathan Klein in discussing coverage of The Runaway Bride, and he accused me of elitism. <laughs> well, I'm not going to get into this wrangle. <laughs> Sometimes the public will stay with the story or get ahead of the story. In other cases, the media is more intensely following a news story than the public. When you come to a story like this that is about the media, it's a little more difficult to make a judgment about whether this disparity reflects the media paying more attention to something that's in the public interest or whether it's paying more attention to something that it's interested in because it's part of its world. Thank you very much, Andrew. You're welcome. Big news from the uh, from the media this week about the media, about one of our our proud members of the media fa- the, the the great media family that we all we all here are part of. Uh, our friends at News Corporation, great great hearings that uh, for some reason all of uh, Rupert's competitors thought was newsworthy in this country. Nutty. Uh, and and the Fox News Channel joined in. Um, my favorite thing about those hearings is that in, in the British Parliament, they don't allow... I mean, a lot of those questioners were not, you know, Perry Mason level. But by the same token, they don't allow the legislators in Parliament to uh, start their questioning with a three-minute long statement. I felt cheated. I wanted to hear what what they wanted their constituents to believe that they thought. I, I really did feel, feel jobbed. But uh, you, you, so you may have seen Rupert Murdoch and uh, his, is it his ward or his son? Son, James, testify, testifying. They were testifying uh, before the parliamentary committee, after which when James testified that he was not aware of an email that implicated a second reporter after having said many times that only one rogue reporter was responsible for all the bad stuff at his 
now shuttered tabloid newspaper, uh, after having testified that way, I believe they're under oath. Um, that was called into question later in the week by a reporter for that same newspaper. So that story is not yet dead, but it was just a great spectacle. And if you want to see more of them on TV, I think you may be in luck. Take a father. No, I, I don't know. Never heard of it. And the sun. Well, uh, what I, 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 what I, what I mean, is I, I'm, I'm just trying to find out what happened before I, 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 I found out that uh, I didn't know. Make them spend two weeks together and watch what happens in a restaurant. Does the gentleman know what he'd like for his entree? No, <laughs> you know, I, 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 I think I could tell you. I'd like to hear from him. I don't know. I, I don't think I eat anymore. Uh, uh, he, he does eat at the office. Do you want to sign this now, sir? Uh, Am I supposed to? I think I, I, I think, I, I, I think we, we, we we had set up an, an alternative process to that particular process in the course of the processes that we were going through. Oh crap! I'll sign it. And then, when things get out of control, I must inform you, sir, that you have the right to remain silent, sir. I said you have the right to remain silent. Heard you. I, I think. I, I think. I, I think. In, in, in the interest of uh, full disclosure, I, I think he's in the process uh, uh, of being silent. Reality was never so unreal. A father and son story like no other, ripped from today's headlines, then carefully pasted back in, keeping up with the Murdochs. Would you like me to take you back to the hotel, sir? <laughs> You know, I, 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 I think, in, in, in view of the, of the circumstances, I think probably uh, the best course of action, most in line with 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 with, with our values and and oh, our. Oh crikey, yes! So real, it shouldn't be legal. Keeping up with the Murdochs soon, anywhere but Fox. Hi, I'm Sam Cedar. You may know me from my shows on Air America Radio, from filling in for Keith Olbermann on Countdown, or even, God forbid, my directing shows like Comedy Central's I'm With Busey. If not, you should really get to know me. Not personally, of course. I think we'd both find that uncomfortable. But if you're a fan of the best of the left like me, I think you'll enjoy my daily live show and podcast, The Majority Report, at Majority.fm. It's a daily dose of political news, analysis, and guests like Chris Hayes, Robert Reich, Digby, comedians like Mark Marin, Janine Garofalo, filmmakers like Morgan Spurlock and Lucy Walker, and on occasion, between my rants on raising taxes, ending wars, and decorporatizing our democracy, I can be mildly amusing. I'm unbought and unbossed daily on the Majority Report at Majority.fm.
are the U.S. branches of News Corp doing this? Now, some people, of course, have asked that question, but it, there's been really no evidence uh, uh, put forward that, for example, Fox News or New York Post or, at this point, the Wall Street Journal has done anything like that. And so the, everybody, all the journalists, when discussing, go, oh, wait a minute, no, not Fox News, not Wall Street Journal. No, the U.S. guys are totally fine. But, you know, there was a story broken by Gawker that we covered a little while back, not, not that long ago, uh, about Roger Ailes and how he spies in on his employees at the uh, newspaper that he owns. It's the Putnam County News and Recorder, and that's where he's got a, apparently a really nice house, and his wife runs the paper for him, and they brought in some conservatives to be editors, etc. And then Gawker pointed out an amazing story about how he has hired private investigators, Ailes has, to follow these guys and to spy in on them. And so the guy that they hired was uh, Joe Lindsley, and there's, it's a crazy story because uh, they are is allegations of inappropriate level of intimacy that his wife and Roger Ailes was having with this guy. So that's really weird. But but that's not the pertinent part here. The pertinent part is they go to lunch, for example, one day, and then they get a call from Ailes, and Ailes knows where they went to eat, and Ailes knows what they did. And they're like, how the hell does he know that? We didn't have lunch at the cafeteria. We drove fairly far out to go to some other restaurant. How does he know these things he can't possibly know? And then on another day, even after he has already resigned, because he thinks these guys are a little cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs, and he's trying to get out, of, get out of there, he spots a black Lincoln Navigator, and he uh, actually sees who's inside and, and gets to him. And he says, wait a minute, I know you. You're the guy that is part of News Corp's security staffers, right? And the guy says, yeah. That's me. So he caught him red-handed. He sent News Corp guys to go spy in on this guy who'd already even resigned from his own personal paper. So, now I tell you that story because you might say, hey, that paper is not part of News Corp, although Roger Ailes used News Corp staffers for this spying operation. But if Roger Ailes is doing spying operations in his own paper, is it a fair question to ask, hey, is this part of the culture of News Corp? And is Roger Ailes doing that within Fox News? That is a very, very fair question. I'll leave it at that. Uh, and I think people should definitely investigate it. Uh, and I don't know why that uh, story that Gawker broke, which I think is a great story, is not being discussed within this context. I think people need to go back and look at that and go, hey, w w what was Ailes doing here? And is this something he's been doing for a long time? And is it related to Murdoch and News Corp? Bill O'Reilly covered the Rupert Murdoch scandal. Now, he didn't talk about it for a whole week, mm -hmm. right? And then he decided to cover it just yesterday or the day before yesterday. So uh, now we record on Thursdays in Los mm -hmm. Angeles. And so this was from Tuesday. He waited about a week and a half before he really talked about it on his show. So he brings out a reporter from England. And here's 
Here's how he tries to make it. Like, this scandal, it's all about this. The elites have their panties in a bunch. That's all. Listen. Do the folks over there, the folks, the regular people, do they care about this big press battle? Okay, so that, that the fo- the, do the folks give a care? It's, it's a press battle. That's what it is. It's a press battle. It's not... It's not this. Com- it's it's not complete corruption by the police, the government, and his boss's company. Yeah, you know what? I know uh, one group of regular folks do the family of the girl that was murdered, whose phone messages were erased. Yes, I and gave about, them false hope that their kid that, that their kid was alive. alive. Yeah, I think they might be affected by this. Oh, Paul, but real people who nothing bad happened to. What about that? <laughs> what about <laughs> they think? <laughs> okay, so she actually goes ahead and and tells him. And uh, you can tell Bill doesn't like it. And uh, here we go. There are people who have been outraged by the hacking. It started out years ago, as you know, with uh, the phones of celebrities and royals. And I think people thought that was somewhat amusing. But when it came to hacking into the phones of murder victims and terrorist victims, people there were people who were quite outraged by that and called in to newspaper, uh, put pressure on people who were buying advertisements in the papers. And so advertisers pulled out. Um, so it sounds like the folks were upset. Well, wait, I, I had a hard time understanding her with that thick British accent. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, she, so she's actually a News Corp reporter over mm-hmm. there. And so he brings her on, and he thinks that she's just going to play ball. Right. And do the folks really care? So she starts yeah. to go, you know, it turns out, yeah, and they actually have been pretty pissed off for a while. In fact, mm-hmm. they got advertising taken mm-hmm. away. And uh, so she, and she, she keeps going, and Bill interrupts her. Hang on. And then also, Bill, there's the other aspect here, which is, it, it's, it's gone beyond media. It's now touching the police. It's touching government at the highest level. Yeah, it's levels. going up and so up I think and up because, sure, because um, historically, you know, the press in, in England has a relationship, as they do in Washington with the, with the power people. But there was a... <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's going yeah, up and yeah. up because historically the press over... As they do here, they have a relationship with the power people. Anyway, what... He just wanted her to stop talking. He's saying the exact opposite of what she's saying. She's saying that the investigation is revealing that there's corruption between the police, the government, and he's going, yeah, and the media. Of course it's cool, but that's the way it always is. That's the way it is here. That's the way, that's just the way. He's trying to story. Corruption is not, is not news. No, he's trying to downplay and dismiss. Everybody knows that that's, oh, it's, uh, it's no big deal. That's his technique. That's his Mm -hmm. MO. If there's something, he just acts like, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, yeah, going up and up. I mean, that's, it's beauty. So here, so then, He's done with her because she won't give him anything. She, mm-hmm. He cuts her off quickly and goes to a hack from the Heritage Foundation from England. And uh, here's what they had to say. But here in the United States, there isn't any intrusion of this story thus far uh, on News Corp properties. None. Yet you have the New York Times absolutely running wild with the story. Uh, front page, front page, front page, column, 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 vicious stuff. Vicious stuff. Yeah, the New York Times being very vicious. Way more vicious than hacking into the cell phone of a dead girl. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Or or hacking into or bribing police to get the mm-hmm. codes to hack into the mm-hmm. or or hacking into politicians and influencing elections. No, it's much much. It's not like the guy that did these things has a license in the United States, right? And could affect us. <laughs> and is actually a, a, a United States citizen. Murdoch and his yes. kid are both citizens of the and United And in order States. to have his his broadcasting license here in America. America, you can't. Uh, he broke a law that says you can't break laws in someone else's country broadcasting. Mm-hmm. If you do, you can't get a license here, right? Mm-hmm. So that's a big deal. And it's like, ah. so he's like, no, nobody here. Not, never happened in America. Well, doesn't really matter if it happened here. But here's here's where they go out. And uh, it's all ideological, is it not? 
It's all ideological. That's what, and New York Times, it's all about ideology. You know, their ideology of not wanting people to do criminal acts during an investigation. That's a liberal, bi- uh, it's a liberal mm. bias against people who exploit the families of murdered of kids. It's yes. the inherent mistrust of oligarchs, and that's a prejudice. Mm. <laughs> yes, it is. All right, here's what this guy says back to him. Yeah, I think we are seeing, uh, Bill, uh, the beginnings of a, a witch hunt again. <laughs> <laughs> wow. The W word. <laughs> the beginnings of a witch hunt. Corporation here in the United States. Uh, we now have the rumblings of several uh, congressional committees uh, threatening to hold hearings into uh, allegations of phone hacking uh, into uh, the accounts of American citizens. To say It's not a witch hunt when the witch is turning people into toads in front of your eyes. <laughs> First of all, I love how he, uh, c- Congress... For, uh, saying they're going to have hearings on this is a witch hunt. Mm-hmm. They're looking into it. Oh, boy. Uh, next thing you know, you want to have a hearing? Mm-hmm. Is this some kind of a witch? Yeah, th- that's what you do. And where was their um, outrage over Peter King's hearings? You know, Right, and, yeah. Oh, witch hunt into the yeah, Muslims? Right, yeah. sure. There's a little bit more to this. But that, was done, but that, was alle- let me just, that was allegedly done by the news of the world. British people. Not, not yes, any American the, people. Yeah. Does that, yeah. Correct me if I'm wrong, doctor. There's not one American employee of the news corporation Implicated in any of this. Yeah, that's absolutely right. There's not a shred of evidence. Uh, well, uh, uh, Bill O'Reilly, while being correct, happens to be 100% wrong. Mm-hmm. Uh, Les Hitton uh, resigned as CEO of Dow Jones right. and the publisher of the Wall Street Journal. Mm-hmm. He resigned over this scandal because he's so close to Rupert Murdoch and he's involved in this. And uh, and also the idea that you can separate the fact that that's happening in England. Yes. You know, when yeah. Rupert Murdoch's company is worldwide, Why? it's yes. not just he has this operation in England and then he has this Frank, other stuff going. No, you're wrong. Uh, criminality does not possess the ability to cross the sea. Yeah, that's it. As, uh, as, look what it happened. cannot swim. Look, look, that's why Australia is so nice. All those criminals, by the time they got there, they were nice old blokes. They were worn out. No worries. I- well, uh, uh, Rupert Murdoch changed the history by being a criminal who left Australia. <laughs> oh. <laughs> he went the other way. Yeah. And, and, you know, a point that I, that I would like to make is even if Rupert Murdoch didn't know that the phone hacking was going on, what he is guilty of, and I think a lot of other CEOs are guilty of, is creating a corporate culture where you do, it's understood that you will do whatever you need to do to get results. Right. Yes. It's a, that's, and yes. that's what needs to be that's addressed. The- at the very least. Well, I say we I say we just apply that same theory to um, our healthcare, uh, education, the uh, financial industry, financial industry, because that's exactly what they've done, right? So, and, and then they get too big to 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 fail, and their excuse is, "Well, we didn't know." Well, right. then don't let them get that big. I hope you enjoyed this show, but also consider it a valuable tool for not only aggregating, but more importantly, amplifying our view of progressive politics in the world. So if that's true, I ask you to support this work by becoming a member of the show at whatever level you're able, as anything from a basic leftist up through the ranks of socialist, communist, Satanist, or even the most reviled level of support, George Soros. I produce 11 episodes a month of fearless coverage on all the hot-button issues we face, maintaining a rock-solid schedule. So if that sounds worth supporting, please consider signing up to donate as little as $5 a month or even $55 a year. Members also gain access to bonus audio and video content that doesn't make it into the show itself. So for a concrete way to support a strong, progressive voice, please visit the membership tab at bestoftheleft.com. 
We haven't talked about Rupert Murdoch in a little bit. All right. So I wanted to give a little update on what's happening with Murdoch Gate. He's still in a lot of trouble. Is he still alive? Uh, he's still alive. But this is interesting because they were trying to pretend that Rebecca Brooks was no longer being paid. Okay. Uh, because she got in a lot of trouble as well. And... Uh, Brooks, who worked for News International, was one of the very first people who got taken down by the scandal. So in order to save face, his ugly, shriveled face, mm-hmm. Rupert Murdoch was saying, or acting as though she'd been like cut off or cut loose. But now, according to The Telegraph, uh, an informant told this journalist, my understanding is that Rupert has told her, Rebecca Brooks, to travel the world on him for a year, and then he will find a job for her when the scandal has died down. Jesus so Christ. she hasn't been cut off. She's still receiving money. And she's traveling she's the world. She's globetrotting on his dime, and then he's going to set her up with a sweet-ass job afterwards. But this is how the rich get to break the law. And then again, if you break the law and you're not rich, you get shot. Yeah, exactly. You get handcuffs put on you, you thrown down the pavement, and then you get shot, and they mysteriously find a gun afterwards and say that you were a threat. Yeah. Yay. Um, so this is just outrageous to me because, and I'm really worried that, you know, now that the scandal is like entering its, what is it, like fourth week now, that people are going to start to get distracted and forget about it, and he's going to get away with everything. I mean, I'm guilty of that shit. Yeah. It's like your brain, you hit a certain level or a certain number of days, and you're like, oh, yeah, Rupert Murdoch's an asshole. But that's what, that they, still that's what they rely on. I know, on. I know. They, like, they hope every day you guys will wake up and not care. Uh, and the more you care, the worse shit gets. I mean, look at what happened with Scott Walker in Wisconsin. He just really hoped that everybody would go home and forget about it. But he just, there's this great video online of he just was at a county fair and people showed up and chanted him down. Wow. Where they were like, recall Scott Walker, shame, shame, shame. So it's not going away. And he he was just like, is that but what you the, had? the look on his face, he was like, again, this right. is happening again. And... It will forever happen because Wisconsinites refuse to forget what Scott Walker did. It was like when I was doing jujitsu today and a girl who was 15 pounds lighter than <laughs> me beat the shit out of me. Beat the ever-living shit out of me. Jamie got a snack today and almost lost his balance and fell over and went, it's like it's happening again. <laughs> It's that same feeling. You have post-traumatic stress disorder of from every, a 100-pound girl. Every time I tried to get up. It would just be like, oh, like I can't get up. Like, she's back on me. And, like, just did not let go. And then, like, she'd disappear for a second. I'm like, is she gone? Oh, she's on my back. She's climbing my back. And I feel like with Scott Walker, it's the same thing. Like, all right, I'm just going to go outside. I'm just going to go outside. Shame, shame. Oh, they're on my back. They're on my fucking back. So, Wisconsin, stay on Scott Walker's back. Stay on his back. Choke that bitch out. Choke that bitch out. Thanks for listening, everyone. Today, I want to talk about empathy 
And I believe this is going to turn into a two-part commentary. So the follow-up to this will show up uh, most likely in the next episode in a few days. So I want to take everyone just kind of step-by-step through this thought process. And we're going to start with empathy in a place where we're all really, really comfortable and and mention a few things that you've probably heard before. And, uh, you know, if you've thought about it for more than a few seconds, you've probably come to the conclusion yourself that conservatives tend to be less empathetic in in a variety of ways uh, than, than liberals or progressives. And the, the examples that come up most often are, um, you know, like they're – uh, opposed to gay rights, for instance, you know, maybe they don't know anyone who's gay themselves and they just have this sense that it's wrong and so they're not in favor of it. But where these, uh, these feelings very, very often change is when they're confronted with these circumstances in their own personal lives. So the person who's opposed to gay rights is only opposed to gay rights right up until the moment that they find out that they have a gay person in their family who they love very much, and then they realize, oh, you know what? It turns out gay people can be normal because there's one in my family. Now, the example that I love to quote the most is this real story that I'm I'm trying to tell from memory, but uh, there was a guy who was basically an anti-tax crusader in New York. You know, didn't didn't want any taxes, and you know, didn't think that the government should be in charge of providing services, and just that should all be privatized, and everyone can pay for it for it themselves with all the money they save from not paying taxes. Right up until the moment that there was a giant blizzard in New York, and the uh, service of the snowplows were not as well funded as they needed to be. They weren't able to uh, plow the streets other than the really main thoroughfares. And uh, and so the side streets were still blocked, and this man, I believe, had not one but two people die during these blizzards because they had health issues like a heart attack or a stroke, and they could not get to the hospital because the streets weren't plowed. And he had a massive change of heart saying, oh, you know what? It turns out we should raise some taxes to pay for snow plows so that people can be protected during blizzards. Oh, Yeah, duh. As a liberal, I would say that's exactly what I've been trying to tell you all along, but you just couldn't see it until it touched your own life. So this is a constant source of frustration for progressives in general because I I think that uh, as a group, we are better at uh, empathizing with situations that don't affect us personally. And but we can still say, hey, like I think everyone should have health care. I think we should have uh, great funding for snowplows. I think that uh, you know all gay people should be treated the same, even if I'm not one and you know, don't have one in my family. You know, like we're able to empathize a little bit better. And so, from our point of view, it's incredibly difficult to understand how it is that conservatives are unable to grasp those sorts of concepts. Uh, you know, it, because it seems so simple to us. It's so obvious that we should help each other out because it helps everyone. I mean, by helping everyone, we're helping ourselves. Altruism doesn't just have to be that. It can be selfish altruism. So that's step one. That's something we're all probably familiar with, comfortable with. Now, the reason I actually bring this up is because of veganism was brought up on the show recently. Uh, it was brought up by a caller who was reacting to Citizen Radio. The hosts of that show are vegan themselves and advocate, you know, advocate for it strongly. And so this caller was basically saying that he 
wasn't vegan, didn't intend to be, and didn't particularly appreciate being told that he was wrong for not being vegan. He's like, look, if you want to do it, that's fine, but I'm not going to do it, and I don't need to be told that I'm wrong, basically. And this set off, as uh, was not at all surprising to me, a little bit of a firestorm of back and forth between vegans uh, and uh, and non-vegans uh, or meat eaters. So the vegans very, very often will make the argument that by eating meat, you're supporting an industry that literally tortures animals. Animals are sentient beings and uh, it is utterly immoral to support that industry. And to them, this is an absolutely cut and dried issue. It is painfully obvious to them. They, they see the, the videos of what goes on in the slaughterhouse. They're repulsed by it. And it is inconceivable to them that, uh, that anyone could eat meat after being exposed to something like that. And I, I totally understand where they're coming from. That is, I mean, that is how a regular progressive feels about, you know, these other lesser issues that I, you know, just was talking about. Um, you know, they seem really obvious to us. We understand what's right and what's wrong and what's fair. And my theory is that in the same way that progressives have a heightened sense of empathy over conservatives, I think that vegans and vegetarians who do, you know, who, who have that, you know, that dietary lifestyle based on ethical reasons simply have a high, higher, yet higher, heightened sense of empathy than the rest of us. And I believe that in the same way that progressives have a really hard time understanding why conservatives can't understand why empathy is a good thing, I, I think that vegans have a really, really hard time understanding why uh, you know, regular progressives don't have the same heightened sense of empathy as they do. And so I have a clip I'm going to play, actually, from Citizen Radio uh, that is, I think is another piece of anecdotal evidence to add to this conversation, but it is not about veganism. It's just about empathy. And so these people are vegans themselves, and you will see the, the heightened sense of empathy that they have. And then I'll come back, and I'll have one more little factoid that may blow your mind afterwards. I had to take uh, Desmond. I Who, take Desi. some of you might be like, which one's that? The fat one. I had to take the fat cat to the vet today. Yep. And I'm, I th- I'm legitimately crazy. Like, I cried the whole way there. Yeah. And I still feel like I'm going to cry. So I put him in the carrying case and it's the saddest thing ever. I forget my phone. I forget everything I needed because I'm... That explains why you didn't answer my text messages. Yep. Uh, I'm almost in tears mm-hmm. over nothing. I When I got... yeah, I forgot. We told your friend this. We didn't tell the radio audience this. When we got... Because um, I consider you guys my friends. Womp. When we, I, I got an email from the previous owner because I was like, what did he get tested for so I can tell the vets? Yeah. And she was like, well, he got tested for feline AIDS and kitty leukemia. And I started crying then <laughs> because I didn't know that was a fucking thing. I didn't know there was cat AIDS. Yeah. That is so sad. There definitely is cat AIDS. So you're taking Desi so, to so th- the vet. So this is how I react with animals, right? I'm taking him. He's crying on the street. Sure. Because Very it's upsetting. so scary. Yeah. Because, so what I'm doing, I'm not upset because he's crying. I'm upset because I'm putting myself in his little cat 
shoes, right? Or his little cat his paws. His little cat paws. And I'm thinking about what he's thinking right now. And I am like, this has to be so fucking scary. Yeah. And then I start thinking about that. So this is where we go into crazy land. Okay. So it's weird enough that our cat has a little mark and I'm almost in tears, right? Yes. Here's why I was almost in tears. I start creating these backstories <laughs> in my head. Two of them. The first one is I'm the cat, right? All right. <laughs> and I start thinking that clearly he thought he did something wrong because the last two places he's been, he's been were homes. So like we were sending him back or so something. So we were sending him back. Yeah. So that's I so start sad. thinking. I thought about that too. So he's in this little cage, right? He's looking out and sees like trucks and dogs and it's really scary as it is. And then I'm like, what if Desi thinks he did something bad oh. and we're sending him back and we don't love him anymore, right? Uh. So then, so I'm walking down the street like this. So I, at first, Are you telling him I love you? Yes. Yeah. So I'm holding the cage. <laughs> at first I was holding the cage down uh, like you'd carry like a grocery a su- bag, like right? Like a suitcase or something. But then yeah. I, I literally, I walk six blocks there with, I lift it up with one hand. I put my other hand underneath it. So he's in front of me at <laughs> eye level and I'm just saying, no, you're good. I love you. And I'm walking down. I'm almost like crashing into people. So then, so then I get there, right? And I sit down, and uh, someone brought its dog in, and his dog got a little too close to Desi. Oh, and I'm like, bullshit. And I'm like, hey, what the fuck do you think you're doing? And he looked at me, and I'm like, I'm sorry. This is my first time. In the <laughs> <laughs> so I have to apologize. Like, I, ha- I have to be like, do you not watch cartoons? Do you know how cats feel about dogs, you fucking idiot? So immediately almost kicked out of the vet, right? <laughs> And so I apologize to everybody. I'm like, this is my first time. I'm very emotional. <laughs> so there you go. I think you will agree, and I, I'm positive that Jamie would agree, that his level of empathy is a little bit off the charts. I mean, like, people love their pets. Everyone loves their pets and, and can sympathize to some extent with how he was feeling. Uh, but I think we all know that was a little bit uh, you know, beyond the norm, shall we say. So... So empathy, I think that is a, an incredibly large factor in, in our uh, decisions on, on food and how we feel about factory farms and the like. Now, here's the, the last thing for the, for the day. Remember, this is a two-part commentary. I'm going to come back to this in the next show. The other thing that I learned while, uh, while working for a climate change nonprofit, so my boss had become a vegetarian for purely climate reasons, not ethical reasons, but because meat uh, consumption and production is such a large contributor to greenhouse gas emissions, he felt it was imperative that he become a vegetarian. And he learned from a friend of his who is a psychologist that there is a very specific reason why people have such a hard time uh, in, in making rational decisions about their uh, food choices based on evidence and facts and you know morality or whatever. And the reason for that is that the same part of the brain that controls our food choices is also the part of the brain that controls, wait for it, our religious affiliations. In other words, completely irrational. Now, that is not to say, don't be confused, it is not completely irrational to wish to have a religious affiliation, but the way we choose our religious affiliations is, I believe, irrational. It is generally based on how we grew up, how we were raised, what religion our parents were. Uh, There are lots of really, really smart Christians who have grown up in America, believe very strongly in the Christian faith, who can also recognize with, with a great deal of clarity that had they been born in the Middle East, they would be Muslim 
and would feel as strongly about that faith as they do about their own today. And they understand that things could have been different purely by chance, but they still feel that their faith is right. And that is, you know, cognitive dissonance at its finest. So anyways, religious affiliations, completely irrational, same part of the brain that's in charge of deciding what we eat. It's, it's an uphill climb to say the least to get people to change the way they eat based on facts and evidence. And we will get into some of those facts and evidence in the next show because I'm sure you're very excited to hear that I have a whole slew of voicemails already on on this topic that I did not play earlier because I wanted to kind of squash the conversation before it got out of control because if I had played those before, I would have gotten more and more and more voicemails. So I just let it simmer down for a while and now I'm bringing it back up and I'm going to play some of those voicemails and react to them as they happen. It should be lots of fun for everyone. So that's going to be it for today. Now I'm just going to thank a couple of members, as I always do. Ryan S. signed up for a very generous Communist Monthly membership back on March 13th and has stuck with the show since then. And Michael W. signed up for a leftist membership back on March 28th and uh, paid for a full year in advance. And Michael is uh, one, of, one of the few people who uh, took the time to write in and had a comment that actually uh, had, an, had, had a change on the, on the show. I now label each um, each clip contained in each episode is labeled uh, based on the date their, w- with their original air date. So whether you have noticed that new feature or not, it is there. And uh, whether you appreciate it or not, you all have Michael and, and a, f- a couple other people who, who wrote in, uh, including my sister, like for instance, <laughs> who wrote in with that same comment uh, to thank for it. Now, of course, everyone can support the show just by telling everyone you know about it. You can stay tuned into the show between episodes by joining up with us on Facebook and Twitter. And for details on the show itself, including links to all the sources and music used in this and every episode, which you can also share on your social networks, all that information is always posted in the show notes on the blog. So coming to you from far outside the conventional wisdom of Washington, D.C., my name is Jay, and this has been the Best of the Left podcast, coming to you 11 times a month, thanks entirely to the members and donors of the show from bestoftheleft.com. Black and white You took apart a picture that wasn't right Pitch burning on a shining sheet The only maker that you want to need A dying man in a living room Whose shadow bases the floor